0: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kah. We return after the All Star break, where we watch the All Star game, the celebrity softball match, the home run derby, and there it goes, back, 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 and Mike Trout has a rare back disease. Not what we planned. Today's show is our first since the All Star break, so we'll talk about those festivities, the injury notes and roster moves, the performances from the past week, and later on we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Jay Crumpler to talk about relievers. But before we get into all of that, John, how are you doing? What did you think about the All-Star break? All-Star break was fun.
0: Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see Juan Soto winning the home run derby, Uh, even though it was cool to have J-Rod in there. Um, Let's just hope this means Juan Soto actually has a good second half of the season. Oh, yeah. Um, I did think Fox, like, they did a great job with miking up players. I thought that was golden. Um, Loved uh, John Smoltz telling... Uh, Alex Manoa what to what to throw and of course he ends up hitting the guy uh
2: yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. it's unfortunate there but I thought I mean like the the conversation between um Nestor Cortez and Jose Trevino during that one inning was was awesome um obviously it's gonna be hard to have that in game but for stuff like the All-Star game I think it's just it's amazing it's it's definitely something that uh I enjoyed watching
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when he said, hey, what should I throw a And he goes, throw a backdoor slider or back foot slider, he said. And he goes, oh, that's sexy. It was great. great. It was great. It was so good. Alec Manoa has such a good personality and it's really good to see these mic'd up moments. And even... In the actual games where like Eugenio Suarez hit a walk-off home run while mic'd up, there's some really cool moments when we add those mics in. I think it adds a cool dynamic. I don't think we should do it very often, but it's nice to see those one-off games and especially in the All-Star game or any of those exhibition matches, 100% Mm -hmm. it's awesome to see that because it is so interesting hearing a pitcher on the mound speaking while they pitch because it really is cool to see them pick each other's brain and see what the thought process is. And I don't know. I really like that. That aspect was really cool.
0: Yeah, and I think baseball is kind of just the one sport where you can have that in-game action and there's that interaction between, you know, the player and the, the guy who's interviewing them and um, and it, it's still, you, you know, you get to kind of understand like the game behind the game and um, yeah, I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, because baseball is a little bit of a slower sport, you know, in the outfield, you're standing around between plays and you can interact with someone through voice so it makes sense why it works in baseball and it's crazy that we haven't done it more often I just find that a little bit hard to believe we're a little bit behind in the times but we're catching up we're catching up and for me for the home run derby I was kind of pissed well first of all obviously I'm rooting for Pete Alonzo because I want to see a 3 Pete, and he's my boy but I bet on three people for the home run derby I bet on Julio Rodriguez to win he had really good odds so I said I'll throw five dollars on him Kyle Schwarber and Pete Alonzo and Juan Soto won so (laughs) I thought I was a lock for Julio after he took down Pete and he had 30 homers back-to-back I thought it was a lock but hey man Juan Soto just showed up when Julio Rodriguez didn't so that was disappointing but hey it was an awesome weekend it was a good break for us I'm I'm very happy that the all-star break was a good time but besides that how was your week do you have anything exciting coming up this weekend
0: Honestly, I'm just waiting for the Twins to add pitching. That's all I'm waiting for. (laughs) Just
1: sitting around all day on the couch waiting for the Twins to get pitching.
0: Like, this week I got to see Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy both just not do anything spectacular. And it's, like, you know, so obvious that we need to add starting pitching. And then it's so obvious that we need to add uh, relief pitching. And deadlines in, like... Less than a week, and there's nothing happening. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just basically waiting for any, any like, Luis Castillo rumors, any Frankie Montas rumors. Just things like that, just to, you know, happen so that I don't have to worry about missing it, you know?
1: Yeah, before the podcast started, I thought Luis Castillo is either going to the Yankees or the Twins, and I think Montas is going to the Dodgers. We'll see. I hope that you at least get one pitcher, because the Twins certainly yeah. need it.
0: I, in my opinion, I'd rather have Montes than Castillo because Castillo is just oh, notoriously. He, Castillo's notoriously bad in cold weather, and it's like, yeah, the most logical decision for him to go to is Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> like he already can't pitch in Cincinnati when it's in April. Like, yep. He's not going to be able to pitch in Minnesota when it's May.
1: No, so. definitely not. I agree completely. I'd rather have Montes in general, even if Castillo was good in the cold weather. I, I would rather have Montes.
0: Really? Yeah. I'd rather have Tyler Molly than Luis Castillo, and that's Ooh. saying a lot. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's Castillo's a hot really, really good. Yeah, Really, really good, but I just don't know how he's going to – is he going to pitch well in like late September in Minnesota? Is it going to be too cold for him? We'll see.
1: Yeah, that's a hot take, man. I don't know if I'd rather Molly over him, but hey, that's that's a good point. He does stink in the cold, and Minnesota's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As for me, since the last time we had this podcast, I believe I went to the Met game where Keith Hernandez's number got retired. Oh, yeah. And that was really fun. That was a really good day. We got Keith Hernandez bobbleheads. My dad and I went, we had great seats. We got to see the whole unveiling in the pregame ceremony. The Mets won my records five and O this year when I go to Mets, Mets. games. So I can't ask for a better result than that. So very excited yeah. about that. And then this upcoming weekend, I'm actually going to the national sports card convention in Atlantic city. So that's going to be really fun. If anybody is going to the national sports card convention, I'll be going on Saturday from 10 to 6. If you see a guy in a Cindergard jersey that's very pale in skin and about 5'10", come up and say <laughs> hi. I will gladly talk to you about Fantasy Baseball, the podcast, or cards, because that's what I love. Nice. Yeah. So, with that being said, before we get into the injury notes and roster moves, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter, at this Week PL, and you can send us your questions, comments, and concerns to our email at ThisWeekPLpod at gmail.com. If you want us to talk about a certain player, review a trade that you made, or anything else fantasy-related, be sure to write us an email or send us a tweet. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more, so make sure you do all of that and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. It helps us out greatly. But now we move on to the injury notes and roster moves. There were probably tons of moves for the past week and a half since we didn't cover an entire week, but I'm only going to talk about the big ones because if I had to go and search for every little thing, it would have taken us days to go through. So I'm only going to mention the very important ones. So hopefully you all understand that. But as we said in the beginning of the show... Mike Trout of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, July 18th with a rib injury. Then on Wednesday, it was revealed that Mike Trout was diagnosed with a rare back condition called costovertebral dysfunction. Not sure what that is. It's rare. So, hey, it's like a holographic <laughs> Charizard Pokemon card. I mean, I... would I don't know what that is. The doctor said that not only does he have to manage it through the rest of this season, but also through the rest of his career, probably. Trout, however, says that this concern about his back diagnosis has been overblown and that he will play again this year. Obviously, this is a concern because Trout has missed a lot of time over the last few years with injuries. And if this is serious, it could really throw a wrench in his career. But he says it's not that big of a deal. But he also said that about his calf last season and he was out for the entire season. So I don't really know what to say about trout. Do you have any opinions on it? So, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but
0: I have friends in in the medical community. Okay. Um, So, costovertebral dysfunction basically just means that where your ribs connect with your spine, there's just, like, an issue there. Right. Um, Dysfunction doesn't really... It can mean a lot of things. Um, you know, it could be irritation. That's what he was on, you know, the IL for was rib irritation. Right, yeah. Could be a little bit painful, things like that. Um, I talked with some people who, like, actually do work with, you know, spine and, and stuff like that. And they said, you know, it's not rare necessarily, but it, it could be something that you have to deal with. Um, the, probably for HIPAA issues, obviously, we don't know all the information for trout we don't know how serious it is right i'm probably more leaning on the the side that it's not that serious um it's it's gonna suck obviously for trout that he has to deal with this nagging injury but i i don't think it's going to you know make his 30s uh you know he's not gonna be a bad baseball player essentially for the next 10 years
1: i don't think it's possible for mike Trout to be a bad baseball player i just hope that he's on the field long enough to pad that Resume for his Hall of Fame career. I mean, he's already a Hall of Famer if he retired today. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) what more does he need? Yeah. If he retired today, he would easily be in the Hall of Fame. Right. But it's something about. Yeah. But something about these players like Mike Trout and Ken Griffey Jr., you just want to see them healthy for their whole career because they are a generational type talent that literally could be classified as the greatest player of all time. But injuries just derail everything. Yep.
0: I mean, it's... Buxton basically didn't play after the All-Star break for, you know, five games. You're just like, oh boy, like, let's hope this isn't, like, him done for the season. Yeah. It's kind of, I'm sure that's the same thing that Angels fans feel about Mike Trout with this news coming
1: out. Yeah, it sucks. You don't want to see Trout out for any amount of time. And this is certainly something I'm... Worried about, but I also think that it's not that serious, for this season at least. Maybe it hinders Uh him in the future, but I think he comes back and plays this season. If you do roster Mike Trout, don't panic drop him based on this news, because he (laughs) clearly said that he will be playing again this year. So hopefully that's true. Moving on, Raphael Devers of the Red Sox was placed on the 10-day IL with right hamstring inflammation on Saturday, July 23rd. He's expected to return when he's first eligible on Tuesday, August 2nd. Chris Sale of the Red Sox was placed on the 15-day IL with a fractured left pinky finger. It was actually pretty brutal. In just his second start back from the injured list, Sale recorded two outs and then got hit with a comebacker directly on his pinky finger. He showed it to the camera, and it was, like, bent all out of place. It was horrible. Did you see it? That was gross. That was
0: gross. It was unfortunate that it has to happen to Sale, but... Of course. Like, jeez, that's just...
1: Just the worst timing possible. Oh, horrible timing. Just thank God it didn't happen in a A outing because then he would have beat something up or destroyed a, a local pub. I mean, who knows what would have happened. But, w- wondering how the TVs at Fenway were feeling. Yeah, 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 thankfully he can only use one hand instead of two for it. But, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully Chris Sale feels better soon. I know he got surgery on it. So hopefully he comes back and pitches again this season. Luis Robert of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to July 19th with lightheadedness and blurred vision. He began a rehab assignment with AAA Charlotte on Thursday, so hopefully he comes back soon. Jacob deGrom of the Mets will likely make his next start in the majors. It's looking like he'll return on Tuesday against the Nationals, and I cannot wait for Jacob deGrom to pitch again for the Mets. Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL with left Achilles tendonitis on Tuesday, July 26th. Our favorite injury note and roster moves attendee, Chris Bryant of the Rockies, has plantar fasciitis in his left foot. He's been DHing ever since and says that this is something that he can manage with shoe inserts, treatment, and icing, so hopefully he doesn't miss any time due to it. Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres has been doing on-field batting practice. He's on pace to return in mid to late August. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals both were unable to participate in the series in Toronto due to being unvaccinated. Max Meyer of the Marlins was placed on the 15-day IL with a right elbow sprain on Sunday, July 24th. And then on Thursday, it was announced that Meyer will undergo Tommy John surgery. Huge blow for the Marlins and fantasy managers that picked him up. He'll be out for the rest of the year and a majority, if not all, of 2023. Tough blow for one of the game's top prospects. John, anything to add on Meyer? Just brutal.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's a force. He's a Minnesotan kid, actually. So. Oh, really? Um, I-, I watched a lot of him pitch in in his freshman year at the u of m um because he was basically the the gopher star closer so oh wow um yeah so i mean i followed his career obviously going number three in the draft a couple years ago and then you know being able to be in the majors this year it's it's cool to see for a local kid um but yeah it just sucks it he makes it to the majors and then it's just like oh yeah by the way now you're out for the next year yep Uh, just brutal and you know the marlins it's i mean they've got you know pitching uh prospects out the wazoo oh they, yeah they can oh, easily yeah. replace meyer but it just sucks for him you know Meyer nope. specifically that he has to deal with this and it'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes back from surgery you know his calling card when he came out um in the draft was his fastball mm-hmm. um and you know we'll see if that velocity kind of stays there after after tommy john it, it probably should but yeah it's it's just it's just tough to see
1: Moving on, Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals has missed four straight games after being pulled from Sunday's game with right hamstring tightness. He hasn't gone on the IL, so hopefully he can avoid that. Salvador Perez of the Royals is on track to rejoin the club soon. He's working his way back from undergoing surgery to repair his torn UCL in his left thumb. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros was activated from the IL on Thursday, July 21st. Andrew Heaney of the Dodgers was activated from the 15-day IL on Wednesday, July 27th, and pitched four scoreless innings against the Nationals. And then a couple of trades: Andrew Benintendi of the Royals was traded to the Yankees for three minor league pitchers, and Tyler Naquin of the Reds and left-handed pitcher Philip Deal of the Reds were traded to the Mets for two minor leaguers. John, any last comments on this batch of players? Um,
0: interesting move for Benintendi. Um, obviously it's it's just a move to replace Joey Gallo. Yep. <laughs> And then, but I actually let off for for the Yankees on Thursday. So clearly, you know he's 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 their solution for you know not having a guy you know strike out at <laughs> Gallo. Um, and you know, Nate went to the Mets. is It's an interesting move. Obviously, gives them another power bat, which is nice. Um, we'll see if it if it works out. But I'm I'm just waiting for the big big shoes to drop here.
1: Yeah, we're waiting for those big pieces to fall. The Castillo, the Montas, the possible Soto. There's a lot of people that could be moved. Otani even, which would be unbelievable to see Otani go anywhere. Yeah, that'd be nuts. And hey, Benintendi also said that he would get vaccinated if he got traded to the Yankees. So I guess they believe it, and I guess he's going to because, hey, if they're going to have to play in Toronto, they're going to need him to, and they're not going to want to trade for somebody that's going to be sitting on the bench when they need him to play. So Mm -hmm. that's a big move there. And also, I think it's so funny, since this Benintendi trade, I've seen so many funny memes based on Joey Gallo. One, obviously, (laughs) when Edwin Diaz came in against the Yankees, because Joey Gallo was supposed to face Adam Adovino, but then Diaz comes in and literally Joey Gallo had no chance. Joey Gallo could have just sat in the dugout and had the same result. It was so funny. He was so overpowered. He could not do anything but strike out he couldn't even make contact with the ball it was hilarious and then yeah. I saw a meme with Andrew Benintendi getting traded there was I guess it was Jets training camp I don't know much about football so excuse me but sure it was Jets training camp and a guy walks into the front doors of the facility and he has to type in a code on the pad oh, yeah. to get into the door so he goes to type in his code and he types it in and he goes to the door and it won't open and he's like I guess I forgot my code and then <laughs> he goes back he types it in he goes to open he goes I think they cut me, and I, and it was <laughs> the tweet was Joey Gallo upon the trade of <laughs> Andrew oh, Benintendi no. to the Yankees. <laughs> it was really funny. If anyone could go oh, and find that tweet, cool. I, I definitely recommend seeing it. It's a good laugh. I I guess they cut me. It was really yeah. funny. It was really really funny.
0: That's yeah. Also, shout out to um, Pitcherless' own Schwebsey, who uh, kind of joked about that Diaz Gallo matchup of like the the world's most unstoppable. I think it's like force. Most force against the
1: most, most movable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which Shre- was like
0: that's, that's, oh, it's like, that's just unfortunate for Gallo.
1: Yeah, Shrebs is a good friend of mine, and that was a quality tweet. He just had no chance. He got so yeah. overpowered. He could not do yeah. anything against Diaz. It was funny. Yeah.
0: Shout out to uh, your Mets, though, for for uh, taking down the Yankees. That was, that was a fun game on oh. Wednesday.
1: That series was awesome to watch. It was great that the Mets won both, obviously, for me. But what a great two games of baseball. And if that's anything Mm -hmm. like what the playoffs will be, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah.
0: It was a fun game to watch. And uh, it was hilarious to see Aaron Judge not be able to pick up Max Scherzer's slider.
1: Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. He struck out three times. Oh, gorgeous.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) we got to talk about a lot more players and a lot more games besides just the Mets and the Yankees. Oh, yeah. Uh, just starting last Friday, um, you know, after the All-Star break, starting on July 22nd, uh, Lordis Goriel Jr. of the Blue Jays went 6-7 with a double, three runs, and five RBIs. In case you forgot, the Blue Jays put up 28 runs on the Red Sox, confusing fans at Fenway who thought they bought tickets to a baseball game, not a football <laughs> game. Uh, there was some really funny memes about how, you know, Tom Brady, obviously, you know, football lore, Super Bowl lore, came back from like a 29-3 deficit in the Super Bowl. Yep. And basically, you know, people were making fun of the Red Sox not being able to come back from twenty-eight-five in a baseball game. <laughs> um, obviously, different scoring systems, but yeah, it's, you know, yeah. it's obviously good fun. Uh, but yeah, Gurriel was a big part of the night, going nearly perfect at the plate, driving in five runs. Uh, I think the the stats were like the last time some guy hit six uh, had six hits in a game it was like Anthony Reddone like five years ago. Yep. Uh, but yeah, Gurriel spent the most of the year as a bench bot on your teams. He's you know he's been cycling in and out, probably on waivers, not on waivers. Um, but he does have a high average in OVP. He does have something to add just doesn't have a lot to add in the counting stats department still the blue jays are starting a heat up and it might be time to invest in bats like guriel um as the blue
1: jays you know start hitting their stride and, and really push towards that wild card spot yeah the last people with six hits in a game were rendon like you said and Devers. they both had six mm-hmm. hits in a game and that was wild and can you believe the red sox they've been so atrociously bad did you see the inside the park grand slam from rymel tapia and that was the botch Durand, plays everywhere oh my god rand's Face yep. on that play was one of the funniest
0: things. Like, if if you wanted, like, if you want to give a ward out for like lowest effort, yep, like, add, on a play, like, Duran's a front runner for that.
1: Oh, definitely. And then,
0: and then watching games on Wednesday, Franchi Cordero has no business playing first base. Nope, not even close. Like, oh my goodness. Just, oh, it was just painful to watch.
1: And then Sawamura ran past the bag trying to make a easy play where the first baseman has to throw it over to the pitcher and he just ran past the bag and didn't touch it. And they were safe. It was just a disaster all around for the Red Sox. I mean, Duran, I want to give a little bit of slack to because maybe he thought it was out and it came back in. That was his only excuse. But like, yeah, I still, if you're a rookie like he is, you gotta run after that ball and make it yeah. somewhat of an effort. I mean, I know you're really far away from it, but like at least walk towards it fastly. <laughs> like, right, the, <laughs> like the ball drops and he just like stares at it. For he like just five like seconds. he's taking baby steps towards it, like nothing's happening. Like the game's right. not going on. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. Like it's easy to lose a fly ball in the roof and and things like that. But still, it, it, yeah, it's just ugh. Yeah, it was not cool to see. Uh, moving on to maybe some better news. Uh, Ramon Urias of the Orioles went three for four with a double home run, two runs, and two RBIs on Saturday. Um, the Orioles have been one of the most surprising teams of the summer, as they now sit just a few games out of the wild card spot. Not bad for a team that had the first pick in this year's draft. Um, Urias has been a big part of that swing momentum. He's hitting 372 with a one, for 1 OPS in July. Along with 14 RBIs, and only five strikeouts. Um, definitely just, a, it's a good month for him. He's definitely one of the hotter pickups that would be still available in your league. I would say go get him because he's not going to be there for long. Adeliz Garcia of the Rangers went 4-for-4 four four with a home run, three runs, uh, three RBIs, a walk, and a stolen base on Sunday. It's uh, just fully showing off that power-speed combo again this season. He has 18 homers so far. He's got 15 bags. I don't know if he's going to get to 30-30. It, it might be possible. I, I don't think he's going to get there. But even if he goes 25-25, um, I think that's that's pretty great for Garcia. And he's probably going to avoid the pitfalls that do the second half of the season last year. Remember, he kind of just collapsed. He was yep. you know, really hot through the summer and then all of a sudden was doing nothing in, in August and September. He's brought down the strikeout rate a little bit. He's increased his line drive rate. Basically, he just has a better approach at the plate. And I think that's going to lead to better consistency. And it's just going to avoid that collapse that he had last year. And it should give you confidence to hold on him for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, I actually really liked Garcia coming into the season, and I have no shares of him anywhere. It's crazy because he was going so late, and I was like, I really like Garcia, man. He's got a 20 potential. He's going real late. Why don't people like this guy? Sure, he fell off at the second half of last year, but mm-hmm. I was very shocked how late he was going, and I actually just didn't end up with him anywhere, and I really liked him. Yeah,
0: I definitely got burned because I mean I rostered him last year in my home league, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't pretty. So yeah, he was, probably carried little...
1: you through the first half
0: oh he did it was great yeah it was just the second <laughs> half i was like where are you yep yeah what <laughs> happened to you no <laughs> right exactly uh moving on to pitchers we have zach gallon of the Diamondbacks went seven innings with zero and runs two hits no walks and seven strikeouts against the nationals on friday um he was able to earn a lot of strikes he got 13 whips 16 called strikes for an overall csw of 29.9 percent. it's not particularly flashy for gallon um, but starts like these are encouraging um, even if it is against the lowly Nationals. He did follow us up with a five-inning outing against the Giants. Um, it wasn't that great. So he's not really in that ace form that we're all really expecting of him. But he's showing us these moments of brilliance, so it's hard not to want to chase it and see what happens. Uh, and then Lance of the White Sox, went six innings with zero and runs, three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Guardians. Yeah, He's been pretty much borderline jobable, I think, even in 10-teamers, to <laughs> yep. be honest. He's yep. been so bad. Um, and he finally had a vintage performance against the Guardians. He had six strikeouts and a 45% CSW on his favorite pitch, the four-seamer. It's a little worrying that the velocity still isn't back. But, you know, if he's able to kind of do this well with that fastball— even with the lowest, lower velocity, um, it might not be a lost season. We'll see in his next few starts if it if it actually pans out. But I'm, I'm happy to see Lance Lynn finally get at least one good start under his belt. Yep. And then Tyler Molly, of the Reds uh, went six innings with three and runs, two hits, three walks, and five strikeouts against the Cardinals. If there's one player that many fantasy managers have been waiting for trade news on, it might be Tyler Molly. who, depending on how the deadline goes, might have made his last start as a Cincinnati Red in Great American Small Park. Oh, sorry, uh, Great American Ballpark. <laughs> He is scheduled to pitch on Saturday against the Orioles, so maybe he gets his final start as a red then. Um, Still, for all the ink that's been spilled on how Molly's an ace on the road and barely startable at home, he managed to put a quality start at home against the Cardinals, and we really hope he gets moved to a park where it's a little bit more pitcher-friendly.
1: Oh, definitely. If he goes to anywhere that's a pitcher-friendly park, he's going to be someone that is very good for the second half, no doubt. And I'm super excited that Lance Lynn actually just had a good outing. I don't even expect like a whole season of this, but I just wanted one at least for the amount of draft stock that I put into him across several leagues. So great Mm -hmm. to see this. Hopefully you can keep it going. If not, oh well, but I hope to see more of this Lynn. But moving on to Monday, July 25th from the Batters Box article, 5,000 Candles in the Wind by Mark Steubinger. We're talking about Jonathan India of the Reds. He went 3-for-4 with a double, a homer, two runs, four RBI, and a walk. Last year's NL Rookie of the Year was someone that was highly desired in drafts this season. However, he's unfortunately missed a lot of this season due to injuries. His slash line of 240, 304, 383 is a little disappointing, but he's recently found his groove homering in three of his last seven games. If he continues to stay hot, he could be in for a big second half. He's someone that a lot of people like this season. I was kind of off of him, but hey, he can be really strong for you out of that second base position for the rest of the year. And then Josh Rojas of the Diamondbacks went 2-4 for with an RBI, a walk, and three stolen bases. Well, that's a big game from Rojas. Three steals in one game is a feat that not many players have done this season, if any even have. Maybe John Birdie did, I'm not really sure. But these three steals bring Rojas' total up to 11 for the season, which is a career high, believe it or not. His previous high was nine. So the three in this game put him over it. Also, he hasn't been caught stealing yet. So I doubt that he's going to stop running all of a sudden. With a slash line of 283, 357, and 422, as well as having second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, he's certainly a player that you'll want to pick up. I think he's a pretty good asset leading off for the Diamondbacks.
0: I got a fun ad drop question for you. Okay. Jonathan India or Max Muncy in an OBP league?
1: Oh, God, that's so hard. I just think Muncy is done this year. Give me India. <laughs> Give <laughs> okay. me India. It's so hard. I Obviously, OBP is Muncy's format, and he's so good in that format, but he's yeah. just been so bad, and I just – I'm done with him this season. I will revisit him next season, but this season you can drop Max Muncy for pretty much anybody, and I'll agree with it, so – Give me India, who's surging. The Reds are looking a little bit better than they were this beginning of the year. So yep. give me India over Muncie. Moving on to pitchers from Monday. We've got the SP Roundup article, Withdrawn Manaya from Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy, Sean Manaya of the Padres. He went 3.1 innings pitched, four earned runs, eight hits, one walk, four strikeouts against the Tigers. So... Not what you want to see against one of the worst offenses in the league. This has been my biggest swing and miss this season, which is the opposite of what Minaya is doing to batters right now. Coming into the season, I had Manaya as my SP25, my 25th best SP in the rankings, and he's certainly not pitching like that right now. He hasn't been good, allowing three earned runs or more in five of his last seven starts. His sinker has been fine, albeit down a little bit in velocity from last year, which is one of the big reasons why he had success and made me excited about him for this season. However, his changeup has been awful, generating way less strikes. He's someone that I'm still hopeful can turn it around, but I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith here. I really wish Minaya would just be good again. And then Aaron Ashby of the Brewers went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Rockies. Wow, what a start from Ashby. Sure, it was against the Rocky Road matchup, but still, 17 whiffs and a 41% CSW. It shows you just how much upside Ashby has. He throws heat, his breaking stuff is nasty, he generates whiffs, has a great CSW. Ashby truly has the mold of a future ace pitcher. It all just needs to click with good command, and he is ready to roll. I'm most surprised about the Brewers letting him throw 111 pitches in this one, because if there's anything that I'm the most worried about with Ashby... It's his workload and how long his leash is. He literally pitched one inning in his last outing before this one and 4.1 before that. So you never know how many innings Ashby's going to pitch on any given night. But this one was absolutely brilliant. And also shout out to Nick Lodolo of the Reds who went six innings pitched with no earned runs and nine strikeouts against the Marlins. He had a 36% CSW and while the Marlins have been horrible, that's still very impressive.
0: Yeah, Uh, moving on to Tuesday, July 26th, uh, starting with hitters with the Hunter 2 article from Jim Chatterton. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles went one for three with a home run, a run, an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. He's following up his breakout year last year with an understandably less exciting year this year. It's kind of hard to follow that up. Uh, He's got less home runs, a lower slugging rate, a little bit decreased hard contact. He has stolen 21 bases, which is kind of impressive, including one on Tuesday. Looks to be on track to potentially go 15 homers, 30 steals. I would hesitate to call this season disappointing because, after all, it's hard to replicate a season where you had an 878 OPS. Yep. Um, we'll take more performances like these from Mullins for the rest of the season. Obviously, um, it's nice to see him get a home run and a stolen base in the same game. Uh, but he's been really good for the Orioles this year. I don't, I don't think they're complaining. I think he's been doing pretty well. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe not like the top fifteen outfielder that people were drafting him as, um, but he's still been he's still been good. And then Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs went two for four with a double, a home run, two runs, and RBIs. Uh, Remember Seiya Suzuki? Uh, It just feels like it was a moment ago when we thought the Japanese outfielder was going to take the major leagues by storm, hitting four homers in his first nine games. Unfortunately, he's been sidelined for injury for a good chunk of the season, but since he's been back, he's hit four homers and slashed 348, 366, 537. Hopefully you held him through that aisle stretch because it is paying off now. Those are honestly great numbers from Suzuki that's um, in the month of July. So it's, it's a decent sample size. Um We'll see how Suzuki is for, you know, the rest of the season and, and even, you know, next year and, and just see how his career pans out. But if he, it definitely looks like he understands major league pitching at least and, he, and he's able to, you know, do well in, in the majors, which is cool to see. And then moving on to pitchers with uh Carlos Momentum uh, from Nick Pollock. Uh, Pablo Lopez of the Marlins, he went 7 innings with one run, two hits, no walks and 11 strikeouts against the Reds. If this was Lopez's final edition before getting traded, which is crazy to me. I don't know why the why there's any trade rumors about Agree. Pablo Lopez right now. Agreed. It's I don't even know why the Marlins would even think about it. Um but yeah, he he's he was amazing. Uh Lopez had a 41.5% CSW over all his pitches, getting 18 whips total. His curveball had an impressive 53.8 CSW with 13 thrown. Has Lopez struggled this year? Yeah, he's had a few bad starts here and there. He's blown up a couple times. But the man is a stud, and I honestly, I think the Marlins would be insane to trade him. And I think the major, rest of the major leagues would be crazy not to give Lopez a hard look and figure out what it would take to get him on their team. This man is easily a top SP2, if not an SP1, on, on, on any uh, rotation. And uh, yeah, it, it's inc- incredible to me that that there's
1: even trade rumors completely agree Pablo Lopez is nasty I mean he is really good obviously a little bit of shoulder concerns and innings yep. pitch concerns but how can you trade Pablo Lopez he's phenomenal
0: right I mean you know maybe the Marlins actually shore up their offense with a with a pitcher trade but that's unlikely yeah I agree uh, uh, and then Carlos Rodon of the Giants went six innings with Firebird runs three hits two walks and 10 strikeouts against the Diamondbacks I know what you're all thinking Rodon's hurt this is the beginning of the end uh <laughs> Why did the Giants sign him to a two-year contract? Uh, After two straight starts, giving up five runs, sure, even I'm a little worried. Granted, that first start was against the Dodgers. Giving up five runs against the Diamondbacks is a little weird. Um, But he still went 99 pitches in this game. I don't think there's any injury there. And he gave up all his runs on just two homers. Only five men got on base, and they all scored. That's, like, incredibly lucky. Um, In fact, I think Tyro Estrada probably got hurt more than, you know, Rodon got hurt in this game. <laughs> um, if you didn't know that reference, it's uh Rodon kicked a bat in the in the dugout and it hit a Oh so,
1: really? Oh, yeah, that's funny. I didn't see that. Kind of
0: unfortunate. Rodon got a little pissed off and uh yeah, a little friendly fire there. Wow. Um yeah, so a little bit of bad luck here. The fastball was still dominant with a forty one percent CSW. The secondaries were honestly pretty good as well. Five men and got in base and they all they all scored. I that's kind of the main story here. I I don't think Rodon is you know I don't think he's in territory that you need to start thinking about getting rid of it or try to trade him. I think he's he's still fine.
1: Yeah, that just sounds like bad luck to me. I mean, five people got on base and they all scored. That's pretty rough.
0: And he had ten strikeouts. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's clearly dealing. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. that's that's a rough one. But moving on to Wednesday, July twenty seventh from the Batters Box article, Dalbeck to the Future. Love that. Back to the Future reference by Dave Swan. Starting us off, Rowdy Toledo of the Brewers. He went two for four with two home runs, two runs, six RBI, and a walk. Rowdy was off to a scorching hot start to the season and then significantly cooled down in the last month. However, he's just recently started to pick things back up, especially after a two home run and six RBI performance. These two homers bring his overall total to 20, and he also has 64 RBI to go with that. He's striking out less than 20% of the time this season and has decreased his O-swing percentage by 4%. Those are some positive changes for Rowdy that you just love to see, so... Good to see Rowdy having a great season. And then Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks went two for four with a double, a home run, two runs, and an RBI. I've personally been disappointed by Marte's season so far. I was very high on him coming into the season, especially on Yahoo, where he has second base and outfield eligibility. This homer brings his total up to 10, which just isn't very good. If you think Cattell Marte's 10 isn't very good, Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s 5 is just atrocious. But... I pin Marte as a 25-homer, 10-stolen-base sort of player. However, due to a couple hamstring problems, he hasn't run as much this year, and due to a slow start to the season, his home runs in RBI are low too. Marte still managed to provide you with a .270 average, despite having a .146 average after March and April. He's still an elite hitter, and he should have a solid second half ahead of him, but it's definitely been a disappointing season for Marte. And then lastly, shout out to Matt Olsen of the Braves, who hit his 20th homer of the season on Wednesday. That also brings his RBI total up to 66. He's on pace for a 35-home run, 100-RBI season. Olsen's homered eight times in July and seven times since July 12th, which is just incredible. Oh, and also he leads the league in doubles with 35. The man is getting comfortable in Atlanta and is an absolutely elite first baseman for fantasy.
0: Yeah, funny thing about Roddy Tellez, that first homer he hit of the game was off Chris Archer, um, who Archer, like, walked the first two batters, and then I, I was reading the box score, you know, Roddy comes up to bat, I'm like, oh yeah, this is out of, this is gone. You know, like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have to look, I'm like, I know he's going to hit a homer off Archer, and low ability and he hit a homer off Archer. So. Of
1: course, you, you hate to see that. You hate to see it. Well, you like to see it for Roddy, you hate to see it as a Twins yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. As for pitchers on Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article, The Cole Picture, by Nick Pollock. We start with you, Darvish of the Padres, who went seven innings pitched two earned runs, six hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the Tigers. Congratulations on your AGA label, Darvish. Well deserved. I've seen tons of fantasy analysts complain about Darvish saying, where are the strikeouts? He's been underwhelming. He's not an ace. That's a bunch of hoopla. In his last six starts, he's had 11, 9, 9, 6, 10, and 9 strikeouts respectively. He's up to just under a strikeout per inning after a slower start in the strikeout department this season. Darvish also has 8 quality starts in his last 9 starts. He's been really good this season and finally has that ace-is-gonna-ace label on pitcher list. So Darvish, welcome to the club. And then John Gray of the Rangers went 6.1 innings pitched. Four earned runs, five hits, four walks, and eight strikeouts against the Mariners. Although this line doesn't look pretty, trust me when I say this, Gray was a monster. In his final inning of work, he left a hanging slider over the middle of the plate to Julio Rodriguez, who tacked on three earned runs to Gray's final line. The walks were a little bit much, of course, but... He was dealing. I don't want to talk too much about him because I feel like we've talked a lot about him recently, and you know I'm a great truther, but his fastball is sitting at 98 miles per hour now, and his slider is still disgusting. He's a guy that if you can buy low on him after this start, do so. If he's on your wire, pick him up right now. Stop listening to the podcast. Pick him up because you definitely want him. He's going to be huge in this second half.
0: Yeah, I was very excited for John Gray to leave Colorado, and it's clearly paying off. Oh,
1: yeah, big time.
0: Moving on to Thursday's performances, uh, we got Jesus Aguilar of the Marlins. He went three for four with a home run, a run, and four RBIs. Every year, it just feels like we get glimpses of Aguilar's potential, and every year, we ultimately get disappointed. Yep. Uh, he hit a two-run shot today, which is nice. Brought in two other batters as well for a decent day at the plate. Unfortunately, the season has not been as pretty. He's been slashing way below his career averages, I was actually surprised I was looking on his both his savant player page and his Pitchless player page. Just a lot of blue. Um, which really? is surprising to me for a guy who, you know, supposedly supposedly hit the ball hard. You'd expect at least his hard contact is good or even yeah. his, you know, hard hit percentage. It's all blue. It's not pretty. Wow. Um yeah, at thirty-two years old, it's hard to say if we're really even looking for potential anymore for the Aguilar. The walk rate's down, the strikeout rate's up, he's not hitting the ball hard as I mentioned. Um, Just leave him on the wire. There's definitely better options available. And Trey Mancini of the Orioles went two for four with a run, two RBIs, and an in-the-park homer. Uh, Isn't baseball romantic? It might be Mancini's last game at Canham Yards as an Oriole, and he sealed the victory for Baltimore in an important division game against the Rays with a two-run inside the park homer. It was just unfortunate for the guy (laughs) in right, like – it just bounced off his head it's and you know when when that happens you just run uh and you hope you get you get home and the throw actually was pretty close to the plate yep um it it, well, it was a pretty accurate throw from the from the outfielder so it wasn't a guaranteed deal for mancini in any
1: way yeah poor josh yeah. Lowe of the rays in right field he was trying to track it must have lost it in the sun or the lights or something and It bounced right off his head.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super. Like that's like one of those not top ten. Oh, definitely. um, That
1: would be number one on not top ten if it was still going.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, for Mancini, the power output it's definitely not there this season. Um, he is getting on base still, so you know he's helping in that way. And even though fantasy box scores can't measure intangibles, his veteran presence is certainly something that will make him an asset on whatever team he ends up for the rest of the season if the Orioles do end up trading him.
1: Both Mancini and Mullins are guys that you just have to root for with both mm-hmm. of what they've overcome and you love yeah. to see it
0: exactly and it was it was a cool story with mancini last year in the uh home run derby um and oh yeah I think, it, and it's you know it's cool to see that you know he's he's at least able to you know potentially play his last game as an oriole with such a memorable
1: uh memorable game yeah the fans showed him a lot of love so big ups to mancini yep. mm-hmm
0: And then moving on to pitchers, uh, Brady Singer of the Royals went seven innings with one hit, zero earned runs, and one walk, 10 strikeouts against the Yankees. Uh, Congratulations if you had that on your MLB bingo board. Uh, (laughs) It's the second straight game with double-jit strikeouts for Singer. He also had 12 against the Rays, I believe. Um, Exclusively Sinker Slider. That's basically all he threw he had 20 called strikes on the sinker, 10 whiffs on the slider. The velocity was actually also up like about a tick for for Singer, which is wow. kind of interesting. He only allowed two hard hit balls, which is impressive considering he's below league average in a hard contact percent. So, on he just showed up at Yankee Stadium and it worked out. I don't know if this means that Singer is potentially good. <laughs> um but he he's had three really good games. Um and it they've been against good opponents, so
1: yeah. I like um, his potential. Well, I think he woke up and chose violence against the Yankees.
0: Yeah, maybe he was pissed off that Ben Benintendi got traded. So yeah, yeah, hey, he doesn't want to I'll pitch against his,
1: his teammate.
0: Right. So, yeah, yeah. It, it worked out at least for Sicker today. Yep. And then Zach Wheeler of the Phillies with seven innings, three hits, two runs, three walks, and eight strikeouts against the Pirates. It was a little bit of a careful Icarus here because Wheeler was dealing through six innings, and then he gave up a two-run homer in the seventh, he went super fastball heavy this start. He threw nearly 60% four-seamers, and on the season, he's been averaging around 40%. Sheesh. So, yeah, interesting start from Wheeler. Uh, he wasn't getting the whips tonight on his secondaries, but he was getting called strikes on the fastball, around 23%, which is a little bit above what his um career, his year averages. It's around 20% called strikes. So he was getting more called strikes on the fastball for sure. Again, I said he was cruising through six innings, and then he issued a four-pitch walk, and a 2 run homer. But at the end of the day, it's still a decent start. Um, you know, it's not what you expect from Wheeler, who's, you know, easily a top 10 pitcher, if not a top five pitcher. Um, but, you know, you'll take it. Um, It's unfortunate that he had that blow up in the seventh inning. Otherwise, it was a great six inning start for Wheeler.
1: Yeah, I feel like that always happens when a pitcher goes just one more inning after, you know, they're probably done. And then they issue a walk. It always results in just destruction. It's horrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, on Wednesday, I had Logan Webb and John Gregg go 6.1 yep. innings, four and in runs. And it was like,
1: no! Both in the last inning where they got sent out again. They got yeah. destroyed. It sucks. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. It's tough, for those, tough for those quality I, start I leads. feel like that always happens, too. It sucks. Yeah. But Wheeler only had
0: 70 pitches through six innings, so obviously he was going to go out for the seventh. He was super efficient. Like, you know, as I mentioned, I think he had only given up two walks and two hits through wow. six innings. Yeah, like, yeah, He was very efficient. Only had 21 batters faced through six so obviously he's going to go out for the seventh um but yeah it just unraveled a little bit
1: yeah i can't blame a manager for putting in wheeler for another inning when he's at 70 pitches after six i mean that makes sense but when you put out like john gray where he has 92 pitches after six and then goes out for the seventh you're like eh really do you need to do that i don't know they've got other options but now we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll be joined by jake crumpler to talk about reliever strategy in fantasy baseball stay tuned All right, we're back and joined by PitcherList writer Jake Crumpler to talk about relievers in fantasy baseball. Jake, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, pumped to join your guys' podcast. You guys do great work every week. It's our pleasure to have you, but since it's your first time on the show, please let the people know what you do at PitcherList, what team you write for, what podcast you're a part of because you are on a podcast on the PitcherList Podcast Network, and what your favorite baseball team is.
2: Well, I'm a writer for the reliever team. I do the reliever ranks twice a week now, so you'll see me most often if you're following the reliever ranks every day. I, Like you said, I'm I'm part of the In the Pen podcast. I'm the interim host right now with uh, Callum out, but don't know how long that'll last right now it's going great talking with rick graham every week he's uh he's really a good bullpen expert and uh yeah i just i, I write for a couple other websites as well org and baseball hq i do playing time analysis there but my uh favorite team has got to be there's two of them I'm, I'm a i live in the bay area i'm a giants and an A's fan i know i know oh. <laughs> give me the booze but like interesting yeah it, Hey, I have one favorite AL team and one favorite NL team. It, they yeah. just happen to be right next to each other. I don't really consider them rivals. They haven't faced each other in the World Series since before I was born. And even still, there was like a na- a natural disaster that sort of uh, made the <laughs> yeah. series like to put. So like, yeah, uh, Giants and A's fan.
1: Not for nothing, the A's don't really even count as a team, right? Like we kind of wrote <laughs> them off now. So it doesn't really matter. You can root for both. We're not mad at you. <laughs> But in general, we don't get to talk much about relievers on the show, so we're excited to have you and get you to answer some questions about the pen.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about relievers, um, and Jake, I'll be completely honest, you're one of my favorite reliever writers, because when I edit your articles, there's like nothing I need to change, so <laughs> thank you for being impeccable about that. Uh,
2: you're but... welcome. I, I, spend, I spend a lot of time reading through it after I write it, so I'm doing yeah, I can my tell. best to put in little work for you guys.
0: Yeah, they're great. You if you're not checking out the reliever ranks articles, you definitely should at least just to set up your lineups for your relievers so you don't have a you're not starting a guy who, you know, pitched three days in a row it's definitely not gonna mm-hmm. pitch this day if you're in a daily league. Um but yeah, so kind of going on to relievers and kind of having a more fantasy bent on them. Um, what do you think most fantasy managers get wrong in regards to relievers on their teams?
2: There's there's lots of things to consider when you're talking about relievers and From what I can tell from like the other guys in my leagues, from from analyzing how they pick up relievers and who who they decide to go with, it seems like a lot of people like to go with roles over skills, which is something that's talked about a lot in the offseason. You want to draft skills over role because bullpens likely usually figure themselves out. Uh, A guy who enters the season with the closer role is not the guy who's going to have it throughout the whole season, especially if there's a guy in the bullpen that is much better. It's also... There's the caveat of small sample sizes where relievers are pitching in such short stints and they're they're pitching for such short amount of time throughout the season that you can sort of be fooled by small sample sizes. So you don't really want to look at how a player performs in the past because that doesn't guarantee their future success. So somebody like uh, I don't know Corey Knebel, who, who's been good in the past and in, in, in even the like past seasons, but like he, he was good to start the season, but he ended up losing the closer role, which literally took him from a guy who would have been rostered in pretty much every fantasy league to a guy that's on pretty much everybody's waiver wires because he's not worth it the ho- worth it to hold now. So not only are our roles too heavily weighed, but also small sample sizes are sort of not considered well enough and also hot streaks are a thing when you're mm-hmm. talking about relievers which normally is something you only think about when you think about batters they, they get hot they're seeing pitches well they're able to hit things that they wouldn't normally get to but the same thing can be said for pitchers especially relief pitchers if you look at how they do over a certain number of weeks some guys will strike out multiple batters in 10 games in a row or something and then go 10 games in a row with five strikeouts total or something yep, so right. th- it's, it's important to look at pitchers at relief pitchers specifically on a weekly basis on a, on a per game basis, because things can change really drastically over just like every single month. So, you you know, you want to ride the hot hands. You want to get guys who have better skills than the role and who aren't relying on small sample sizes.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people prioritize the role over the actual skill of the pitcher because I guess it is more important in like a saves-only league, for instance, to have a guy who is the closer rather than someone who you don't know is the closer, like a Jason Adams, so to speak. So mm-hmm. it is tough, but you want to prioritize the better pitcher, right? It's just the way to go.
2: Yeah, that, that'll always turn out with the best results for you because even if the guy's not getting you saves, he will improve your ratios. People always mm-hmm. talk about in so many other podcasts, on so many articles, that if you don't have a pitcher to stream during a week, just go pick up a middle reliever because they will provide better ratios than a, a back-of-the-rotation starter that has some tough matchups. So it, it's always good to go with the guy who's got the better skills because not only will he give you better ratios, but he'll also rack up the strikeouts, limit the whip, um, maybe even secure a win or, or a vulture a save.
0: Right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think it's always interesting looking at matchups too for relievers because, I mean – It's not often that, you know, people think about streaming relievers. And, you know, on this show, we specifically talk about streaming starters, you know, a segment that we always do. But it is kind of an interesting thing where you talk about, yeah, sometimes it's better to pick up that that middle relief guy than the number five guy who has a cushy matchup but just hasn't delivered over the past, you know, three, four starts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. But we've seen a lot of change in how relievers are used in real baseball with the three batter minimum and teams being more willing to put their best relievers into high leverage situations versus having them close games. How does this impact which relievers we pick up and draft for our teams? I think as a
2: general rule roles become more important but that doesn't mean they should be like we just said with the last question but roles have become increasingly more important because people are always trying to decipher who is the high leverage reliever who is the closer in each situation like you mm-hmm. mentioned Jason Adam that it's it's very Everybody's always speculating on the raised bullpen because it's so hard to tell which guy is the favorable reliever to use in terms of fantasy because it's you know that they're not going to use that their, their best reliever in the closer role, they might just use them as the high re- leverage reliever or switch it around. So you never know, but. When it comes to the three batter minimum and stuff, you want guys that don't have platoon splits, guys that don't have a disparity between their stats versus right-handers and versus left-handers because those players are much more valuable. They're not only able to take on any set of three batters in each inning, but they also will perform well even if they are set up against the side of batters that they they don't do as well against. It's also made multi-inning relievers more productive they've become incredibly productive guys like Garrett Whitlock have become some of the best relievers in baseball when they're tossing multiple innings and especially in leagues where you've got games started limited then those relievers just become so valuable that's my home league where I'm always looking for guys that can go multiple innings because they don't use up a start and they can get a lot of points they can secure even greater effects on your ratios because they have a higher volume. So those guys can be really good especially with the way that relievers are used now. You're not really sure you're going to get a save, so get a guy that can go multiple innings who can possibly close out a 3-inning save, which is very rare or secure a win in the middle of the game. But also the best reliever in team on the team is not necessarily always the best reliever in terms of fantasy, which, you know, yeah. has to do with role and stuff, but like we've seen in Minnesota, they don't like to use Yohan Duran as the primary closer, and they sort of like to limit him because he's a rookie. He's a young arm. They've tried to use Emilio Pagán as the closer. He's been taken out of there. They, they've sort of they sort of switched off week to week using those guys in that role, and now they still seem sort of scared to. Use Yoan Duran exclusively in that role, even though he is clearly the best reliever in that bullpen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, there's 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 so many things to consider, especially with the way that usage has turned out so far in the modern bullpen. But yeah, you, you you still you want guys who go multiple innings. You want guys that don't have the platoon splits, but also, you know, roles are going to be more highly valued by your league mates. And the best relievers on every team are not necessarily the best ones for your fantasy team.
1: Yeah. My big thing is ever since my home league switched to save plus holds, which is the first time I've actually ever done save plus holds. Usually I'm in traditional leagues or NFBC standard leagues. So I rarely ever get to see saves plus holds. And that format really makes it so that you can grab the best reliever. It doesn't matter what their role is. You want the best reliever on the team. So I like that for that regard. It's obviously a lot harder to win the category because you can roster a bunch of these guys and you can win that, but it is such an interesting thing to chase the best reliever in the bullpen over just chasing the guy who has the job in the ninth inning.
0: Yeah, I was I was like thinking of kind of examples of this. I, I remember early in the season with the Royals. Now, obviously, kind of with how baseballs turned out, the Royals haven't been that good of a baseball team. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they had that, you know, kind of mini controversy of like, oh, are the Royals going to close with Josh Stomont or are they going to close with Scott Barlow? And, you know, for a long time, they were putting Barlow actually in their high leverage situations in the seventh or the eighth inning. And a lot of people were just kind of annoyed about that. But now Barlow is just, you know, firmly entrenched as the closer there, because at the end of the day, he is the better of the two. And, you know, you might have chased Stomont at the beginning of the season because you thought that he was going to get more of those, um, you know, ninth inning appearances. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, as you've kind of mentioned, skills won out and, and Barlow is now kind of the closer for that team even if he's not getting as many save opportunities as we as we would like
2: yeah because the royals are so bad (laughs) horrible uh, horrible yeah I was I was speculating on Stamont early on in the season I I, I thought his I thought his skills were comparable to Barlow but yeah I mean when you have a manager like Mike Matheny who is more of an old school guy he's going Mm -hmm. to end up using the best reliever in the closers role
1: and you touched on it too the Rays are just the most frustrating bullpen in all of baseball. Oh, Andrew Kittridge <laughs> is a closer. Nope. Jason Add's a closer. Nope. Colin Pashe is a closer. Nope. It's just you never know with those guys.
0: Yeah. That that's yeah. a frustrating team.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: Well, we're gonna talk a little bit about maybe some sleeper relievers. Um and I think maybe let's focus this on like if you're in a saves league rather than a saves hold because just yeah. you know there's so many options in the saves holds league of of who's like a sleeper pick. Yep. But who are some relievers that you think you know are you know somewhat widely available in fantasy leagues right now that you think could be a major contributor in the second half of the season for fantasy in saves leagues.
2: Well, I always come to my podcast fully prepared, so you can bet that I came with a list of like twenty-five names. Nice. Oh, wow! <laughs> nice to Yeah, I mean, I was just scrolling through the uh, the roster percentages on ESPN and Yahoo. Mm-hmm. I think Yahoo is probably a better bet for this exercise because the managers in that in that on that website are either more active or. Yep smarter yeah i I agree
1: completely i for some reason i think yahoo is the most played on format because just the roster Uh rates always seem right and yeah
2: yeah it's like espn the 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 guys rostered in less than 50 percent of leagues um are not anywhere close to being that on yahoo right where Uh it's like i'll have guys listed as less than 50 percent in yahoo and those guys are less than 25 percent in uh yep in, uh, like it's the other way around, yep, 100%. It's, it's so insane. So, so I've got some names. Um, obviously, if you're an ESPN, guys in less than 50% of the leagues are gonna be not available in most of the leagues for people that are listening. But Garrett Whitlock, Paul C. Wald, Devin mm-hmm. Williams are, are all guys that are worth it. Devin Williams, even though he's not the main closer, there he is so good and just his ratios and his strikeout ability are going to help your team while Whitlock like I mentioned goes multiple innings and uh looks like he could steal the closer role from Tanner Houck right now and obviously Paul
1: Seawald has been really good for the whole season if Josh Hader gets traded which it's always been a rumor every year I feel like it's Mm -hmm. like oh Josh Hader might get moved if Josh Hader gets moved Devin Williams immediately becomes like a top 10 closer in baseball
2: yeah he he might be yeah he is one of the best Really pitches in baseball. I'm pretty sure he's got the most saves plus holds anyway, even though you you said we uh were m- mostly focusing on saves leagues, but yeah, he's been so amazing this year that airbender is something else yep <laughs> in uh in Yahoo leagues, however. Left less than 50% rostered, guys like Tanner Scott, Lou Trevino, Jason Adam, and John Schreiber are, are available. John Schreiber mm-hmm. is one of those guys where he's got really good ratios, but he could also yeah. swoop a couple saves, especially with Whitlock and Hawk not being the traditional closers, guys that you know, can still go multiple innings, but Tanner Scott, I think people are still yeah. sort of, of, him. he sort of walks too many guys. <laughs> um, and the Marlins have really struggled to maintain a closer throughout the season, but yeah, he's getting saves. And I mean, that's going to get you points in your standings in Roto leagues. So it's always worth it to go for a guy that's got the role right now, but he could also be traded. I think Trevino is an interesting one. He is available in so many leagues because his stats are so bad. Uh, <laughs> this may surprise you, but uh, I, I, said like two months ago, maybe it was more like a month and a half ago, that he was someone to watch as a dark horse closer candidate back when he had like a nine ERA and uh, Danny Jimenez was there. And so (laughs) I ended up seeming pretty smart when he did end up taking the closer role, but it all had to do with him having previous experience in that role. And while he hasn't been super incredible so far this season, even since then, he's got better skills than he's ever shown before, especially last season when he was the closer all year. So I think okay. his second half is going to be a lot better than his first. And uh, Jason Adam also, we mentioned before, it, it's it's a coin toss, <laughs> whether or not he'll be the closer from day to day. But he, he's got pretty good skills, and, and he's been racking up saves, and he's the best right-handed reliever in that Tampa Bay bullpen.
0: Yeah, it it kind of blows my mind that Paul Sewald is not rostered more. Yeah. Um... Like, granted, he was kind of a setup man for, you know, the first probably couple months of the season. But he's, like, firmly in that, that closer role now for the Mariners. And the Mariners look good. Like, they look like a team that's going to compete up till the end of the season. And there's just going to be a lot of opportunities for him to, to close out games. Um, it, I'm curious, kind of, because you mentioned a couple of interesting names, right? Lou Trevino, Tanner Scott, like, guys that aren't on outstanding teams, you know. Do you feel like it makes sense to go after those closers on teams where, the opportunities for saves are going to be fewer than, you know, someone who's like on the Yankees or something like that, obviously.
2: Um, Well, if, if you're deciding between a guy who's on the Yankees, that's not really in the conversation for saves. Like let's say Araldus Chapman is on your wire and right. we all yep. know that Clay Holmes is the locked in closer there. I would still rather have a guy on these other teams because they have a much greater chance of getting saves, even though, the other the Yankees in this example would be getting more wins. I think mm-hmm. the guy who is the locked in closer has a higher threshold of racking up saves, but also like if they're terrible, <laughs> then you definitely don't want to go with somebody like that. Right. I had Tanner Rainey on my home team the whole year oh, until yeah. he went down with an elbow injury. Mm-hmm. And I had been telling people to sell him as soon as you could because not only were the Nationals not getting him enough save opportunities, but he wasn't blowing anybody's socks off, with short, which sort of set him back. You know, he's not okay. improving your ratios enough. He's not striking out enough batters, and even when he does get save opportunities, he's blowing them, and he doesn't have many chances anyway. So he wasn't really a guy that I, I felt super confident in, and the fact that he was getting saved sort of manufactured a – trade value for him that that you could have capitalized on before he got injured so maybe mm-hmm. some people listen to that if they were reading my reliever ranks but <laughs> I doubt it <laughs> yeah
0: I guess maybe just another question how do you feel about his replacement Kyle Finnegan
2: uh not good <laughs> he's <a>, uh <laughs> yeah. he's he's not he's not that amazing obviously he would have had the role before Rainey got injured if he was any good. So he is the best strikeout on him in that bullpen, but that bullpen is not great. And that's why this is literally like, it's the same thing as Rainey, except with a worse reliever. And now the team is even worse. It's going to be trading away more guys. Finnegan could be on the move, but even if he's not on the move, he's going to have even less reinforcements in that bullpen. Like Carl Edwards Mm -hmm. Jr. could be on the move. So, yeah, I mean, I, obviously if you're like in a 15 teamer, you sort of need to go pick him up because if he's getting saves in 15 teamers, it's really hard to find anybody that's even remotely like getting a save once a month or something. So that right. I mean, that's a guy that's going to be really valuable. But if you're in a 12 teamer or a 10 teamer, I I just don't think it's worth it. Like, as long as he's hot, like if if he's on a streak, like I was talking about, if he's on a streak of, of locking down saves, that could be good. But th- there's just there's so many other options. I would much rather have a guy that's going to get fewer saves but produce better ratios because. Finnegan's just not gonna have many opportunities. Just like the same for Rainey, and he's gonna blow a lot of the ones that he gets.
1: Yeah, Finnegan is one of those rolls over skills guys. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those guys. But we've talked a lot about relievers and how we go about picking them up and drafting them and using them correctly. But what is your personal strategy? Jake, when it comes to relievers in the draft and then in season? And does it vary between saves and saves plus hold leagues? Besides the obvious caveat that the player pool is much wider in a save plus hold league, like how do you approach the whole bullpen thing initially in the draft and then within the season? Well, in the draft,
2: it's, you don't want to go for guys that don't have good skills. Like I said, you want to draft skills over roles. You want to get the guys early on. I I like drafting guys in in the top 100. I like drafting guys right after, uh, like inside the pick inside the top 125, because those guys have set roles and they're actually good. So if you were in on Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader and uh, Ryan Presley this year, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself, even though they haven't been as good as you might have expected. They've still been really amazing and they have no risk of losing their jobs. But then once you get into that middle tier of guys who don't have the skills to hold on to a role like you would expect, like I mentioned before, Corey Knable was in that tier where he was – a guy that people were speculating on. Like they said, he was going to be the closer when they signed him and he had been really good in the past for the Brewers and was, was pretty solid in his return with the Dodgers. But you know His skills just weren't that amazing, and, and the Phillies have other choices there as well. And if you had spent your draft pick on him, you, you probably missed out on a lot of better batters or, or starters around that range. So I think it's a lot smarter to go for the top-tier guys and then just hold off until the end where you can speculate on some guys. I know in my home league, I only got Ryan Presley. I wanted more from the, from the top tier, but other guys in my league were just – going so hard on the relievers and i didn't get any other ones like i'm pretty sure the the second really the second closer uh i'm doing air quotes over here by myself um <laughs> what my second closer drafted was like will smith <laughs> oh, That boy. he was not a closer yeah exactly but i did end up with ryan helsley i had tanner rainy yeah. uh, i had brett martin for a short time and now i've got garrett whitlock on my team guys will appear on the wire. You will be able to snatch guys off the wire, especially early on in the season. And now that we're at the trade deadline time, there's going to be even more guys that will pop up that earn save chances. Like we just talked about Kyle Finnegan, but even other guys, like whoever's going to take over for David Robertson when he's traded, but guys will pop up through the season. As long as you are confident in your ability to stay on top of that stuff, you should just you know, lay off the closers, get a couple top ones and then be confident in your ability to grab guys later on in the season. But yeah, I mean, during the season, what I'm looking at is monitoring usage. Obviously you want to see where a guy's being used in the game. Is he the high leverage reliever? Is he sort of pitching the sixth inning or is he the guy who's setting up for the closer? Does he have a chance to be the next guy up if the closer falters? And also you want to keep an eye on struggling closers, guys that aren't, doing too well because that's sort of a bullpen where you'll be able to find somebody who could take over the role and then also on, on more of like a minute scale keeping track of pitch mix changes guys who are on hot streaks i literally will just go into the player pool and sort by strikeouts and then just look mm-hmm. at the guys with the fewest walks on the top of the strikeout leaderboard so because mm-hmm. strikeout to walk rate is one of the most rudimentary stats, but it's also one of the most predictive for future performance. And so if you're trying not to rely on past performance, you look at a guy who's striking out a lot of batters and not walking a lot of batters. Not only is he going to keep your whip low, but he's also going to improve your strikeout numbers and also is going to have a good ERA, most likely, through the end of the season. And in holds leagues, that's where I'm using that strategy to try to uncover hidden gems. You know, uh, Eli Morgan is one of those guys who Is is super unknown, was super unknown, unknown, and probably still in that same category where Uh he just doesn't walk anybody, and he gets a lot of strikeouts. And when I was looking early on in the season, that was a guy where I was like, oh, wow, that's an impressive strikeout-to-walk ratio. I'm going to throw him on my team and see how it goes. He obviously is not going to take saves away from... Emmanuel Classe, but he moved up really quickly in that bullpen uh, on the depth chart and now is the number two guy there and is getting the majority of the holds in that bullpen. So in saves hold leagues, just like looking for the guy with the best skills, that's where it works out most because role doesn't really matter too much in those type of leagues because a lot of guys can get holds. Obviously, the setup guy for the closer is going to get, get the most holds, but there's always two or three guys besides the closer that are going to be racking up stats in in that category. So you really just want to go for the guy that's going to also improve your ratios because holds and saves are so hard to come by that they will naturally come to you if you have the best relievers on each team.
1: Yeah, I have the same approach to you in drafts when it comes to relievers. I like to get one guy that I guarantee no has the role. Like, I came out of my home league draft with Kenley Jansen. I came out of another league with, I believe, Josh Hader. One league, Ryan Presley. Like, I try to leave the draft with at least one guy that I know is guaranteed to have a role. And then I know that I'm so active within the season that I'm going to find some of those later guys like a Ryan Helsley or a David Robertson who wasn't drafted at all. And those kind of guys will come eventually. They might even come week one of your fantasy season, so... I really don't stress about it later on in the draft. I'll just walk away with one solid closer and then figure it out as I go. Because as long as you're active, you will come on top of it.
0: I think relievers are interesting for me because I I tend to punt a lot on relievers mm-hmm. um, unless like the value is there. Like in in one of my leagues, it was a it was a dynasty startup, but we did basically a, an auction draft for you know the regular season, and for some reason, people were just really undervaluing like the top the top guys. Um, it was a save plus hold league. So I kind of understand why they did that. But I remember like, I got Edwin Diaz for really cheap. Um, I got Chapman for really cheap. I mean, that didn't really work out super well, but you know, it, it happened. Um, he was able to trade for Craig Kimbrel really cheaply because no one really believed in it. And so sometimes I just kind of take advantage of market inefficiencies. That's what I enjoy doing. Um, but I will say, like, in in the kind of the conversation on skills versus roles in the Peel Staff League, which Jake and I actually are in the same Staff League here, mm-hmm. uh, I had a really interesting – and, like, what I ended up with my relievers, I think I ended up getting Devin Williams, Scott Barlow, and Johan Duran. And, like, none of those guys were really getting saves. I mean, Devin Williams and Johan Duran are definitely not getting saves consistently. But the ratios I get from those guys are just so nice that yeah. it's like I don't need to like pursue other relievers right now because like yeah, it, it probably means I end up losing losing saves every single week because it's it's a head to head category league, but my ERA and WHIP end up being so much better than the guys that I'm facing.
2: Yeah, I've been consistently rostering like four or five relievers in that league every week, even though that's like a majority of my pitching roster, (laughs) like you said, they're, they're just going to improve your week all the time. And if you've got guys that are sort of integral parts of the bullpen, they will pitch all the time. And so they, they will have an impact, especially in a weekly league. I feel like that's super nice, but if you're in deep leagues, like I said, 15 teamers, you, you will benefit from having middle relievers guys who aren't getting saves because they will improve your ratios. They will rack up the strikeouts and they won't hurt you as bad. Although like when they do blow up, you can you can have like a four run blow up and then they only get one out or something and that's really going to hurt your ERA. But as long as you've got a good one, that's it's not going to hurt you that often.
1: Without a doubt. I definitely think that both. Well, it's been fantastic to talk about relievers with you, Jake. Thank you so much for stopping by and being a guest here on the show. Good luck with your podcast. And is there anything that you would like to plug before you go, your Twitter, your podcast, whatever you want. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me on. You you guys do great work out
2: here. I'm uh, pumped to listen to this back and listen to uh, all your other podcasts in the future, but the listeners can follow me at Jake crumpler on Twitter. I'm go read my reliever ranks every week, twice a week. Listen to the In the Pen podcast. We just tried to uncover the next Clay homes on our most recent one, and we'll be covering all of the trade deadline moves with our next one. Coming out next week, you can read a lot of my work at org. I do a weekly fantasy recap article there. And also, if you feel inclined, then you can go and subscribe to Baseball HQ and read my playing time analysis for the Giants, A's, and Diamondbacks. And if you really love me so much, you can go <laughs> find all of my work on crumplerbaseball.com. It's just, I've got everything in, in one place there. So if you're only interested in reading my work, you can find all of my articles, all of my podcasts. It's all going to be linked there. This podcast will be linked there as well. So just, uh yeah, uh, I've, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm always working on a ton of different things. I'm... uh grind in as as the kids say
1: well we love someone that always is on their grind and remember everybody that's at jake crumpler on twitter that's j-a-k-e-c-r-u-m-p-l-e-r make sure you go and follow him and check out all of his very several plugs go and check out the podcast and the pen and all of that other stuff but once again thank you so much for joining us and now we move on to streamers for this weekend john what is on the docket for these next few days
0: yeah we got an interesting slate of streamers here, uh starting on Saturday, Jacob Junis of the Giants. He's currently twenty six percent rostering in Yahoo, sixteen percent roster on ESPN. He goes against the Cubs. A lot of rumors around the Cubs. Who are they going to sell? You know, Wilson Contreras, uh, Ian Happ. Who, who knows? um They have much less pieces to sell than last year when they literally just cleared out that World Series team. Yep. Um, Junis is an intriguing arm. There is occasional flashes of brilliance. He went six innings with one and run, eight strikeouts against Miami. Um, a couple starts ago, there's a possibility that he could, you know, do the same thing against the Cubs. He's not a prolific strikeout guy. He's kind of hovering around that, like nine K per nine value, a little bit less than that. Um, he doesn't always go six either. Um, but Hey, that's why he's available to stream. Junis has some interesting stuff and against the Cubs, I think there's, there's some potential there. Aaron Ashby of the Brewers, we already talked about him. He's currently 28% rostered in Yahoo, 12% rostered on ESPN. He goes against the Red Sox, and as we've discussed, the Red Sox do not look good. Um, And Nick actually broke down every pitch that Ashby threw in his start on Monday against the Rockies. So if you're just interested in seeing is his stuff working, go watch that video. He's been incredibly consistent for the Brewers over the past month. And yeah, this Boston team just looks in shambles. I can't imagine morale's very good. Look for Ashby <laughs> to provide a pretty decent return in this start. And then finally, Brad Keller of the Royals, 14% roster at Yahoo, 10% roster on ESPN. He's going against the White Sox on Monday. I'll be honest, I'm kind of just picking Keller because we need a guy to stream. If you want some hope in his last two starts against the White Sox this year, he's pitched seven innings in his in both of those games. He only struck out three batters in both of those games. But he did manage to keep the White Sox from scoring more than three times. And that's a quality start for Brad Keller. Two of them. Do I, do I believe that this will have any influence on his start on Monday? Nope. <laughs> but <laughs> it's certainly an option you could take. Tony La Russa just, you know, wants to manage this White Sox team very poorly. And you could maybe take advantage of that with a Brad Keller start.
1: Definitely. I don't have to give any backing to Aaron Ashby because I roster him in multiple 10-team leagues, in 12-team leagues, in 15-team leagues. So... Yeah. Ashby as a streamer is wild because I just feel like he should be rostered. But yeah, absolutely. With his roster rates, he's a streamer and I would definitely recommend picking up Ashby. Sure, he could give mm-hmm. you a stinker, but I feel most confident about him. And Jacob Junis and Brad Keller have just been serviceable and solid for the entire year, really. So why not take mm-hmm. a stab on them if you need a streamer? Yep. But that wraps up everything for today's show. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show on Twitter at this week PL. And also, you could send us your comments, questions, and concerns to our email, thisweekplpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to talk to John or I directly, you can follow John on Twitter at TheJohnKa, which is T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to your podcast on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else we are on all of them. And make sure that you leave us a 5-star review if you enjoy the show. It allows people to know that this show is worth listening to and that people are frequently listening to it. So make sure you leave a 5-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. And lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week recapping another week in fantasy baseball. For John, I am Lee. And we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.